Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm JC. He's Nathan. No Brian. No Brian. Where's Brian? Happy. Happy. We're recording a little late. I guess I guess that Geritol kicked in and he has to take a nap. <laughs> it's it's 918, JC. Come on, man. That's not late. It's past 730. <laughs> we just woke up two hours ago. What are you talking Sun about? Sun <laughs> goes down. Pappy goes down. Yeah. Uh, Brian had some some things come up tonight, and unfortunately, he was not able to to be here with us, but he sends his warmest grandfather regards, and uh, he loves you, and he'll be back on next week for sure. Man, Nate, what an incredible conversation we had last week with Jen. Yes. And just re-listening to that podcast, that episode, uh, man, that is, she's so sharp and has such wisdom for a young lady. Yeah. I love to see young people that love Jesus and they're not ashamed of Jesus. There's so many things that you can use social media for so many negative things that you can use all the things that we have access to now online and man, to see people using it for Jesus and unashamedly proclaiming his name. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations this week about, uh, people that grew up in that we, me and my daughter, Elena, were talking about uh, some people that we know and people she went to school with. I don't know if you know this JC, but holiness is huge in Dade. Oh County. yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. Huge. It might be a different branch than Jen dealt with. Uh-huh. But, uh, there, there's some staples across all of them. And uh, there's so many people that just walk away. So to see people that go back to God's word and dive into God's word and say, wherever this takes me, that's where I'm going, man. That's so yeah. encouraging. And, you know, I just want to say to the hundreds of new followers on social media and those, no doubt, that are listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast for the first time, because Jen opened us up to a whole new uh, denomination of people, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just want to welcome you to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I would encourage you to go back and listen to all 154 episodes now of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We are three pastors who love Jesus, and uh, we want to get back to the truth of Scripture. We believe in the Word of God and the fundamentals of the church. We want to help and encourage people whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church, but we want to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture and what we are learning 154 episodes in we've known this but we're learning it even more now is that legalism man-made ideology it's not just an independent fundamental baptist thing it's in the holiness movement um you know somebody was talking about it online this week and my wife uh you know after she grew up amish and joined the mennonite church um the mennonite church my goodness it's very similar to the independent fundamental baptist world and a lot of legalism there and talking with Jen and just exploring a little bit of the holiness movement, the Pentecostal church, man, legalism is all over. You know why? Because it's man-made and it's ideology. It's preference. Yep. I've, I've been going down a cultish uh, black yeah. hole, listening to a lot of the cultish episodes. And by the way, we're still planning to do something with yeah, them. buddy. I love their podcast, their you YouTube too. platform, but I've listened in the last couple of days to four episodes about Seventh-day Adventism. And, yeah. you know, there's a big debate as to whether or not they're a cult or if they're just a denomination that has some false doctrine mixed in. But, uh, yeah. yeah, man, that's a that has been an incredible thing. And, and it's amazing. They ended up talking about legalism in the SDA 
as well right. because there's so many requirements and they oh, yeah. really don't ever know if they're saved. They they've got to work to earn their salvation and they use some of the similar language mm-hmm. that that uh, Christians use. But bottom line is they're cultish. I do think yeah. that there are some true believers that are in that that don't I understand do their doctrine that are trusting in Christ. But uh, man, the 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 teachings of that church are just. It, yeah. It's sad to see people that get caught up in that. But, dude, they were talking about these two ladies that they interviewed. They were talking about uh, the podcast that they have, and they do a conference every year where hundreds, of, maybe even thousands, of, of ex-SDA people come oh, together wow. and fellowship around the gospel and around Christ. And it just I was like, it's almost the exact same thing that That's we're great. doing, just with a different group of people, different denomination. You know, that's right here, real close to where I'm at, College Dale. Yep. And uh, did you Southern know Adventist University? They own Little Debbie. Did yep. you realize that? Like that's right there. So I was I was down there uh, just a little bit ago in College Dale and seeing that whole area. And then you go just a little bit further, you got Cleveland, Tennessee, which of course is the Church of God of Cleveland right there. And here's the thing that I've learned about legalism. It's everywhere. Yeah. And uh, there was a man, and I want to give a shout out to a young man, um, but you and I about two years ago, we had lunch at Sticky Fingers, downtown Chattanooga, Yep, man by the name of David Carpenter. And uh, he was doing some incredible research on legalism, on independent fundamental Baptist world, especially. And he was writing a book. And um, over the last couple of months, I actually lost contact with him. I didn't know this, but David actually passed away. And um Two weeks ago, I was down at Passion City Church at the Speak Conference, and this young man come walking up. He's like, what's up, JC? And he was messaging me. Well, I thought it was this David guy. Come to find out, it's his son, David Carpenter, who is a youth pastor at a church up in Kentucky. And uh, man, I just want to give a shout out to David Carpenter, such a great young man uh, who loves the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. And he said, you don't understand how much the podcast has meant to me. It was there for me when dad died and y'all are just helping me out. And so hearing stories like that, man, it just reminds us why we're doing what we're doing. And to see this young man on fire for Jesus and lighten it up for the kingdom, as Eric Stewart says. And uh, I I just, I just want to say hello to David. Sounds good. Also, you said Eric Stewart, shout out, got my men of valor hat on. Yeah, buddy. uh, I want to tell everybody go over and listen to the uh, RFP network. Yeah, and uh, we've got a lot of podcasts out there. There's been some good stuff coming out. I've been listening to a lot from the RFP network, and mm-hmm. uh, really proud of those guys. Proud to be associated with them. And there's so much good content out there. Uh, the theological series, the topical issues. Man, there's there's so much good stuff. It really is, and I'm excited. You know, we just added uh, Austin and Chance, and and is it Tyler, the other guy? Yeah, Tyler, that's on there. I can't even think of the name of the podcast right now to save my life. Uh, case for truth no starving for truth that's starving, it. Starving, for starving for truth podcast man that i've listened to four or five of those episodes and those guys they are so smart and they, they pontificate on esoteric theories where i'm sitting here going uh, <laughs> uh what 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 do they say it's awesome <laughs> i, I, I love, love the rfp network i love the men of valor in fact they've got a conference coming up this summer in Asheville. And uh, you can go over to the recovering fundamentalist podcast justin's going to put a link on our website for that and uh, we'd love to see you. This is for men only. Um, the only downfall of that, Randall Blue is going to be there. But everybody yeah. else, it's going to be a good time. <laughs> Man, there's always a negative to every positive. You know, this it's just the way the world turns. Always got to be a thorn amongst the roses. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever answer his text, JC? 
No. <laughs> I saw you guys were going back and forth on Facebook, but oh yeah, I guess listen, I love that guy. He's awesome. He's a youth pastor up in Arkansas, and he texts me and he goes, "You think people really think we don't like each other?" I was like, "Oh well, <laughs> I don't like you." Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. He's a good guy. Oh man, I'm excited about today's episode. We have a friend, a brother, a. Uh, pastor a man of god a coach a dude with a really bald head and a phenomenal beard and um i'm excited we got brandon neal on the podcast today and uh, so let's jump right into it y'all ready speaking of brandon neal he went to israel with us he did and he's got the tats to prove it look at that he got those at razook we're blood razook tattoo in israel where else would you get a tattoo yes sir hey Hey, Brandon, so JC and I talk every week about how awesome Israel was. From your perspective, what was Israel like for you? I, it was all right. <laughs> no, I'm so, no, hey, Israel okay, was... Okay, roll the bumper, JC. Okay, okay, here we go, here we go. Hey, I, Let's go. <laughs> I, you know what? It's, it sounds so cliche, and you cannot describe it in another way other than you go back now and you prepare a message, or you're studying through a, uh, the, the books of the Bible, or you're, 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 you're studying somewhere uh, in Bethesda or Capernaum, and you're seeing that I was standing right mm. there, and everything that was black and white and foggy at one time is now brought to life in 4K ultra color, and mm. it's uh, real, and it, 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 it even throws another layer on every story that you know. It's just amazing. It's yeah. also changed some of the way that I preach because we've seen it now with our own eyeballs. You know, it's it's really sure. – it brings it to life. And we've seen it. We've felt it. We've tasted it. Brandon and I are the only two that can say we drank the Jordan River and went face first into the Dead Sea. I think I have permanent I have permanent nose damage from the salt water. <laughs> Brandon comes walking up. My nose. I will never forget this. You were red from head, like your entire head was just beaming red. Your eyes oh. were about to bug out. And I was like, what happened? You went, bro, I went face first into the dead man. Because <laughs> we were all worried because your tattoo was fresh. We like, don't get yes. that. And then every orifice of your face was surrendered with the oh. dead Surrendered. What's the word I'm looking for there? Merged. Submerged. That's it. Submerged. <laughs> hey, did it affect up. your tattoos at all? No. The one thing I said was, uh, I told uh, Austin Weiss, I said I can't get in with this new tat, so I'm just gonna wade in and I'm gonna kind of sit back like this and just float for a second. And about two seconds after I said that, I was stumbling face first. My hands went all the way down to the mud, and I, I pulled it up, oh. screaming like a schoolgirl. It was horrible. Man. It was fun. I didn't get in. I, I don't do bodies of water that you can't see the bottom. And the fact that it has the word dead on it, I just, no, thank you. Like I swim in pools. <laughs> That's what I swim in. But watching y'all swim down there, I mean, Brett Martin, homeboy was doing like laps choreography out there. I mean, he had like <laughs> one arm going up, he is on his belly. And then his back is like, that guy is loving life out there. And then poor Ben yeah. Prescott, he was cut up from head to toe. Was there like a wall or something? Yes. On? There was a rock wall that I guess used to be on the land. The water was up or it was, I don't know. But anyway, you walk into the water and about eight feet out, there's this rock wall barely under the water. Cause I was walking on the top of the rock wall and it looked like I was walking on water. It was, it was yeah. really cool, but I walked into it and it just kind of scratched my knee up a little bit. 
But Bro. then that salt water gets in your knee. Man. There were people coming out of there looking like the walking dead. I mean, blood running down their legs. This one guy got out. It was on his elbows, his stomach. I was like, I ain't getting in that. That even proved it even more. And I saw the homeboy from like Russia in a speedo that was about made me look skinny. There was, I was like, no, there was too much. <laughs> there was too much of that. Yeah, I saw that. Oh <laughs> my well, goodness. But you can go um, to Israel with us. Yes, there's where we're going. <laughs> that's, that's where we're headed to. All these stories, you can come back telling these stories and more. And the brotherhood, the fellowship that oh, happens yeah. there is is almost as good as any of the sights and sounds that you see. But I'm just yeah. telling you, Brandon, Ooh. it can be cliche. But things, I always say this, things become cliche for a reason because they're, yeah. they're really good. People repeat them over and over, and they become cliche. But yeah. Israel literally changed how I view Scripture. And, JC, I listened to your sermon this week on Nehemiah. It was powerful, dude. And you showing that picture of you standing in front of the wall, yeah. there is just nothing like saying, I've been there, I've seen it, I've touched those yeah. rocks. I may or may not own a piece of Nehemiah's wall. I won't mention anything else about that. But, dude, how amazing is that, that we got to be there See so it with cool. our eyes, touch it with our hands. And I had a few moments on the at the pool of Siloam where yeah. I got separated from the group, which is basically the story of my Shocker. trip. I was constantly yeah. separated because I mean, if I got taking pictures, right? I know that's hard yeah. to believe you yeah. take pictures. Taking pictures or just reading a placard or something and look up and everybody was gone. But at the pool of Siloam, where we go down into the cave underground, yeah, which would have been the original right? streets that Jesus walked on. Yeah, yeah. I just bent down at that location. You guys were all ahead of us, and I bent down and just put my hands on those rocks and the mortar in between the rocks. And I mean, they're like these huge slabs, yeah. twelve inches thick. So they've been there since the time of Christ. And I bent down and put my hand on it, and I just had a moment there that I, I don't think I've told anybody about this, where I just thought about my Lord walking there and healing people and preaching the gospel and knowing that he was just a few blocks away from where he was going to be crucified and buried and resurrected. Man, I had a moment there that was just yeah. really between me and God and no one else will ever know what that meant to me. And it made my faith so much deeper. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just reminded me that one day, the same way our faith became sight in the Holy land and the locations yeah, one day, our faith will become sight when we Come see on. him face to face. And man, I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Pastors, we would love for you to go with us January 24th through February the 3rd. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Israel tab, sign up, go with us. This is the cheapest you'll ever go to Israel. And the stories you will tell will last a lifetime. It is etched in our hearts and our minds. And just take it from these three pastors. You will never be the same. And we'd love for you to be with us. January 24th, February the 3rd, we're going to Israel. And you know, Nate, you might have a piece of Nehemiah's wall. Austin Weist has all kinds of rocks and stones and stuff. Did you see that shadow box yes. in his office? He don't care that he's right, right. Israel. That pastor's got him hidden, hanging in his office. Hey, man. <laughs> so, yeah, it's well, I'm excited about talking to Brandon today. And uh, what a story to tell. Uh, of God's faithfulness and goodness and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, you might be the ugly part. But, man, we're glad you're here with us today on the Recovery <laughs> Podcast. You two ready to get this show started? Yes, sir. Yeah. Let's go. You took another words out of my mouth. Let's go. Ah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs>
Thank you for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. And uh, we're excited about tonight. Been looking forward to this episode since Israel. Uh, we had a great meal. That's another thing about Israel, guys. The food was incredible. Oh, Sir, phenomenal. Dude, I don't know what those raspberry things were. You remember the dessert, that little square? Ooh, so good. Oh, man. But I remember the last night we were there having a conversation with Brandon. And uh, he was just talking about how he would love to come on and share his story. And, and uh, it is now time and uh, so brandon share with us who you are uh what god has done in your life and how you've gotten to the point that you are at today um yeah that's that's a great um pretty open-ended uh, uh question of who i am and, and what we're doing rear back um, and let her rip <laughs> yeah it's really uh as we just spoke about something cliche it's um it's my story to have a story to tell and i hope it's be helpful to uh, other pastors. I hope it to be helpful to other folks that are caught up in what they're doing, but it's a story about God's faithfulness and uh, God was good to us and it was tough. Mm. We'll get to it in a minute, but today God is showing uh, himself over and over and over again. Uh, he shows himself faithful. He's, yeah. he's got me down home in my uh, hometown, Gainesville, Texas. And uh, Devon and I, when we, decided we were going to have to come home, uh, be there for our parents, um, help out to honor our parents in their um, older age and getting a little more frail. And her father was sick and who has now passed away since we've been home. Uh, the, uh, some things began opening up. I spoke to the athletic director uh, here at the school who was brand new. Um, he graduated high school uh, where I did here in Gainesville. And he was getting hired back on here and he uh, let about 14 coaches go <laughs> and, uh, he hired 14 new coaches and they're all old Gainesville lights. He brought a lot of folks back home and he added me to the, uh, um, to the staff as a chaplain. And, uh, I'm able to, um, run the fellowship of Christian athletes from there. I'm able to have a coaches outreach as iron sharpens iron, um, once a week on Monday mornings. Um, I'm able to, um, uh, be uh, active here in the American Legion with the old folks. And uh, I think in June, I'll become their chaplain here at the American Legion. And uh, all kinds of things just opening up for me and um, opportunities to pray and and uh, be a mentor and a, and a positive type of face around the school building, you know, uh, nearly daily. It's just a wonderful blessing, wonderful blessing. So take us back. You were in the Army for how long? Uh, just over 20 years. 20 years. U.S. Army. Yes. U.S. Army Infantry. That's right. <laughs> That's it. And then pastor. Yes, sir. Tell us about we, that. Uh, um, well, we were, we were preparing to retire. And within that last year, still didn't know what I would do. And many people would say, well, you can't just step out. You, know, you have a career here. You're doing well. And I, I felt I felt that if we would step out, um, 
God would provide a place for us to serve. God had called me to preach. I'd been preaching. I'd been ordained just a few years prior. And in 2017, preparing to retire, um, we felt that God would have us to use the talents he had given us, the gifts, the experiences, and the calling on our life to be missionaries to the U.S. military. So uh, uh, it was a clear clear as a bell. It was evident. There was no questions about what we could do if if we allowed God to use us. So we did. We surrendered. We went on deputation for a real fast 11 months. Bam, 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 bam. Went to 86 churches in 11 months. Uh, picked up about 55, 56 churches. Um, extremely quick. Um, and we were in Korea in two more months. So about a total of 13 months uh, from retirement on the mission field fully supported so Um, give us an idea of what kind of churches you were in name some pastors i know we know some of these guys (laughs) beforehand uh devonna uh, who will be listening to this later she said you're not gonna name drop are you (laughs) (laughs) and i and i said well i might like it's hot hey i'll let (laughs) some slip um okay uh you do know some uh maybe uh while we were in texas in the military uh we were at um a severely um, high church, um, independent fundamental Baptist church there. Um, that, that man there is, uh, um, was, uh, pastor Olton Phillips. He, he was my, he was my pastor and, uh, was a good man. He was extremely, um, rigid. And today we would probably not see eye to eye. Um, we wouldn't see eye to eye. Um, but, He passed the church on as he was getting sicker. We were in the military, and Adam Garber pastors that church now there in uh, Nolanville, Texas. They moved us several times in the Army. I was up in Wisconsin. I know you don't know the fella. His name was uh, Delbert Oatesfall. Great, great guy there. My uh, daughter goes to that church still up there. They're a a pretty good old independent fundamental Baptist church, and – uh, great folks up there, though. And then uh, um, my pastor for a while was Ricky Clark, good friend of mine at the time, and uh, um, very independently, fundamentally Baptist. And uh, he turned it over while we were in the military to Pastor Dave Knopfsinger. And uh, he was my predecessor. He was our pastor while we were on the mission field. And we were coming home to handle family affairs. We couldn't do it from Korea. His thought was his health was failing. My uh, my will- willingness to still serve and my ability to do so, my military presence and background, I could pastor a church outside the 101st Airborne Division, uh, Air Assault, Therefore, Campbell, Kentucky, and mm-hmm. pastor um, military folks and military families in a military community. But I could be there in Tennessee and still go back and forth to Texas a lot easier than I can do it from South Korea, 8,000 miles away. And so uh, we candidated and uh, we had a lot of questions as we were candidating if this is what God wanted us to do, which is one of the great points I want to make sure and bring out to young pastors that have questions about their differences in their theology and approach to scripture and grace and whatnot. So we took the church and, um, we were just there a short amount of time before we were coming home. And uh, most of the story is right there in that short amount of time in that church and the things that took place there and the growth that took place, the pruning, the purging, 
um, the storms, the faithfulness of God, and uh, and where it is today um, is a direct reflection of things that needed to happen then. And Austin Weist and Chance and Tyler there, the Starving for Truth podcast guys there, they're the, the elders there at the church doing a great job. And uh, it's very evident what God was doing. You don't see it in the storm. You don't see it. Yep. You, you think it. You wouldn't go forward if you didn't think God was doing it, but you still can't see it. It's by faith. It's not sight during those times. And when you come out and you get to turn around and look back, it's a uh, tremendous, tremendous what God did. Although some of the stories are unbelievable. And, uh, and, and I, yeah, you and I have talked some, and we talked on the Israel trip uh, yeah. about kind of how the Lord brought that change in your heart. And I know you started leading that church in a little bit of a, a different direction, but talk about how the Lord started changing <clears throat> your heart, going from being an independent fundamental pretty much hardcore King James only uh, yeah. independent Baptist to where you start seeing some things. Well, Devon and I would love to nail that down to a specific episode that spurred, uh, but I had a missionary friend in California. I'm sorry. No, no, he's in California now. He was in Japan. This will, this will talk about RFP. And he was, had heard about the RFP guys. He had heard about somebody named JC something and some dude named Nathan something, and something you know, he kind of heard. And uh, somehow my wife had heard, my wife had listened to some episodes and uh, I hadn't listened to any episodes at the time. And the topic came up in Korea as I'm pastoring this church and really during deputation, the, the, um, this, the rule book was like this thick. For, for Baptist International Missions Incorporated. BIMI was my mission board. And uh, nobody else, nobody would believe that today. But it really was. <laughs> that was my, yeah, yeah, uh, not a good shout out. Uh, so uh, we're, we're, we already questioned some of the things that we're um, having to kind of sign on the dotted line to the legalistic, authoritative rules and standards. And we're over in Korea just a few months later and we're like, man, you know, what would we get into it? And, and, and back to the question, one of the things that came up, I don't know whose names we can mention here. You can edit them out or something. I don't know. Well, I don't care. So you oh, well. mentioned, you mentioned this, this sawdust, um, uh, CT Townsend style, begging people to come to the altar and, and, and snap my finger. You get up and you come forward. Yeah. You go. But it wasn't for salvation. These pastors are preaching these younger crowded revivals. We're talking to believers, people that have claimed to be saved. They know Christ is their savior. They've been forgiven and they're living in grace today. And the pastors would say, just come forward and, and, uh, you, you know, the Bible promises us in First uh, John chapter 1, verse number 9, if you'll ask for forgiveness and you'll confess your sins, Christ is faithful to forgive you. So you've got these people crawling to the altar, boo-hooing on emotion, begging God to forgive them, in which he's already forgiven them. They've been forgiven. Mm. And uh, uh, they're, they're coming forward, and, 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 and next, next week at the next revival— they'll do the same thing. And next week at yeah. summer camp, they'll do the same thing. And next week when some youth pastor grabs their heart, they'll do the same thing. There's, there's, and so we're listening and I'm like, well, that's, that's not right. I wasn't the world. What? And so I've been preaching those same things. Devon and I had grown up that way. And we realized that 
that we were living in what I realized was a uh, a performance based yeah. Christianity. Mm-hmm. And if I'll just keep this short sin account, God will be pleased. And uh, we were throwing away the whole, um, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we're made righteous. And um, Alistair Begg, I wrote it down earlier, he said, God justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. So I realized there's a couple of things to that. This is all in Korea. It's not just that God does the justifying, because God could justify those who keep all these rules. God can justify those who beg for forgiveness over and over and over. But God justifies those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And I just sat back and I said, well, I did that 15 years ago. Hmm. What What in the heck am I begging God again for what I'm putting Christ back up on the cross. Every time I beg people to crawl down to an altar and beg God. So now we're dealing, are you sincere enough and asking? And and our mind was just blown. And a friend of mine said, you need to read this book called grace awakening. Hmm. Yep. I said, okay, I'll read it. Can I read an excerpt from it? Go ahead. It's marked. I've got two, two pages marked in this entire book of 300 pages. This is what S. Lewis Johnson said in 1963, and it's quoted in this book, Grace Awakening Swindoll. He says, one of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today in 1963 is the problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was the problem of legalism. It's no different. In every day, it's the same. Legalism only wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer. And with the joy of the Lord goes the power of vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, listless professions. Hmm. The truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for glory, I mean, for gloomy killjoy. And the Christian under the law is a miserable parody of the real thing. I read this and I sent a message to my good friend in California at that time. And I said, you read this book? (laughs) He told me to read the book. I said, he said, yeah. Hmm. I said, check this out. I quoted that. I said, our church is just full of deadness, and it's because us preachers are not preaching grace. We're preaching a good rule book that we're regurgitating and following. And uh, that got me to thinking. That got me to thinking right there. And before long, we were coming home, and the thinking was the conversations between me and my wife. Like, can we take an IFB church? Like, we weren't just going to an IFB church. Uh Listen, friends that are at that church today and old friends that aren't at that church that left it like a little crying baby uh, with your little blanket, whatever you did. I'm talking about a church that was steeped in performance-based Christianity. Do, 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 do. And it showed when we began revealing the truth from Scripture that they they didn't know what to do with the Scripture. They they couldn't handle meat and uh Brandon, you need to go down the road. Yeah. Yeah. 
That brings up such a good point. And man, you you were talking about the emotionalism. I had a conversation yeah. today, and I won't mention any names, and he doesn't listen to the podcast. I don't even think he knows about the podcast. But a, a guy that's been in church for years, I, I mean years, this guy's way older than I am, and he was telling me about his church and some really good things he was telling me about, but almost everything was around emotionalism and uh things that brought out this this emotion and these responses and groups that came in and revivals and all this stuff. And we talked for a while and he goes, he said, man, I got a question for you. I've, I've always wondered about this. This guy's been in church for 30 something years at the same place. He said, I've got yeah. a question for you. I was like, okay. And he started asking me a question about the Trinity and about Jesus and God, the father and the Holy spirit. And it was, it was, I mean, the Trinity is incredibly deep. No one fully understands it. But the question he asked was a Sunday school, elementary Sunday school, basic question. And I answered the question and he was just overjoyed to hear the scriptures I quoted to him. And I realized as I was talking to this guy, he's been going to a location where there's a lot of emotionalism, but he hasn't been discipled. Yeah. Like simple, basic <clears throat> fundamental doctrine right that you yeah. could probably learn in Sunday school he wasn't even aware of it he he never quoted a bible verse and i don't want to trash on this guy i love and appreciate where he's at but so many churches stress that emotionalism and jc i know you've experienced the same yeah. thing don't you think that's done on purpose though in certain ways that it's done on purpose to keep them from really digging in because the MOG says it and we've got to believe it. Mm. But sadly, a lot of these guys that are in the pulpit only know so much. They've never been discipled. And so what, what is it that you, you lead from the overflow? There yes. is overflow. It is just basic tradition and Bible stories. There's never been discipleship. There's no understanding of truth, of depth, of gospel, of theology. It's just what the tradition is. I've heard people stand up and say at the very first church I worked at here in North Georgia, well, I'm King James Version because that's what my daddy was, and that's what my mama's mom was, and that's what I'm going to be. Why, though? You know, when you ask the question why, and I think, honestly, that's why this podcast has gotten such a response is because we're, oh, we're asking why. Why do you yeah. believe that? Why do you, why do you believe what you believe? You know, I love when people can give us answers, but majority of the time, nobody knows why they believe. It's tradition and Bible stories. This is how I've always been raised. This is what it is. And when you start pushing back on that, they, they just were, well, you're just wrong. Why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Go it's, ahead. it's three things. It's, it's tradition, it's Bible stories, and it's nine to one preaching what we're against rather True. than what the Word of God says. You're right. It is. It is. We're, um, we're, we're, known, we're known more for what we're against than what we're yes, for. Shame, shameful, shameful Bible stories. Like, like I, I mentioned, uh, uh, the event is not even important, but I had to share it with the church that we were going through a book and the book was talking about, um, uh, it was a discipleship book and how Noah stayed faithful and he preached. And it literally said, Noah preached for a hundred years as he built this boat and no one listened to him. And then it said, only if they would have listened, 
and heeded the warning that Noah gave, they would have been saved. So this is from a very popular preacher on the West Coast, um, pastoring uh, West Coast uh, Bible College there. And I said, uh, well, that don't make any sense. And I don't think that's true, but I don't have any scripture to show it. So the next week I corrected what that book had said from the pulpit. And uh, I said, well, actually, Noah was told by God that he and his sons and his wife and his three uh, sons, daughters are going to be saved. There's going to be eight people saved. And the rest of everything that has breath is going to die. He's going to wipe the earth clean. So Noah, quick, quick side route here. Noah wasn't going to, uh, to be preaching to, a, to people for 100 years, begging them to get on the boat, because that's not what God told him. Those people weren't going to be saved. They weren't in the plan of salvation at that time. God was wiping it clean and starting over with Noah. Number one, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that Noah did all that God commanded him to do, and he did it out of faith and fear of the Lord. So what did God tell Noah to do? He told Noah to build a dadgum boat, not to go out and preach a sermon every Sunday. So I just brought that up to the church, and I said, so this book by Paul Chapel is just incorrect. It, it, it blatantly says some things that we just repeat because they sound good, but we've got to be a church and we got to be pastors and we got to be Christians and, and men and women of God that don't just repeat things that sound good. Yeah. But we, but, but we, but we, we repeat what the word of God says. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, it was so bad. in in our church family that I had people literally so upset that I would claim that Noah didn't preach or that Mr. Chapel was wrong or that I was so arrogant to think that I was surely right. And I just had Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. Why that wasn't only something bad to say or something that wasn't said in the Bible, you can't even imply it because that would go against what the Word of God was teaching. So those types doing, of things. Yeah, you were doing what we're commanded to do in Scripture. We're commanded to be Bereans. That's I mean, yes, go home and study that message to see if that's what the Word of God says. Yeah, if, yeah. if they search the Scripture to see if what the Apostle Paul was telling them was correct, you should yeah. be the church to search the scripture to see if what Paul Chapel said was correct. And your people, if they want to argue with you, they should have gone home and searched the scripture to see if yeah. what you said was correct. If you don't like the RFP, open your King James Bible and That's show it. us where we're wrong. That's it. We, we will God. submit to the King James Bible or the ESV Bible or another really good faithful version. But show us in scripture. Don't just Tell us what your tradition says. Man, that's such yeah. a good point, Brandon. Good word. That was a, Brandon, take us back though, because you you faced some opposition. You you you've hit some you started changing some things. God started working in your heart, in your life, and He, he did started um, leading you down some crazy paths there. So somebody said, Are you more of a are you more of a kind of peel off the band-aid a little bit at a time? And I just interrupted him, and I said, "No, I'm a rip that sucker." Let her right rip, Peter Chip. And, uh, <laughs> and I and and for people listening, I'm not promoting that to be the answer for everyone's situation. But That's there you. was no, there was no pregame. We had already kicked off. There wasn't a pregame, no warmups. Uh, we had stepped in, and I had been seeing things that were just I couldn't stand up pastor a church i couldn't preach from the platform i couldn't put my 
my face on the on the billboard or the yellow pages or the computer site website and stand for the things that people thought our church stood for. And I didn't know how to massage that into the teaching. And some would say, you know, after good, thorough prayer, um, God doesn't tell every pastor, you just need to get up there and tell them they're all wrong and tell them what's right. It's what the word of God says. Um, some people, some churches can't handle that movement yeah. that fast. And you, you can't turn a, you know, a ship around here, a little cove, you know, and uh, some God says you need to, you need to go ahead and just rip the bandaid. Well, I had other team members with me, family members and other, other people. And uh, not everybody agreed with the way I was going to do it. But I said, no, we're going to, we're going to start quickly. And I wasn't in, but two months and uh, or maybe three months and the school curriculum needed written. We have a, a little Christian school there and it was probably running 90 to a hundred kids or something. And we just had to rewrite a few things. And I wanted to take out that the girls have to wear skirts only. And I wanted to take out that boys, uh, we have a mixed uh, community there of, of all sorts of ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds being military. And I hated the fact that we had some boys that were uh, maybe uh, white Caucasian kids and they had these nice faded haircuts that people thought was what a Christian should have. But we have some other kids that come in there. They might have some dreads or they might have some some beads in their hair or some color in their hair. And that was against the rules at school. And I just questioned for what reason? Mm. Like, for what reason are they are these kids less of a testimony if they have braids? A boy. I'm talking about a boy. Can this girl not have color in her hair? Is that less of a testimony? Like, mm. where do we get that from? Can, can this can this girl not wear a pair of pants? Well, that that was first. So that got from the school to the church in about four or five seconds. And uh, <laughs> and, and that that Sunday night, I had to address the church. And this is what I told the church. I said, guys, uh, there's a lot of things I'm going to be addressing uh, in the next uh, few months very quickly. And I said, I, I love you. But there's a lot of preferences that have been preached tradition being preached as doctrines here and i said uh mm. we're going to get rid of those we're going to just stick to the word of god and i said the first statement i need to clarify right here is that pastor neil and his wife miss neil we do not have any any conviction whatsoever that a woman ought not to wear a pair of pants and i said what i should say is you show me some bible accurately yeah. applied in context and yep. applicable you shall instead of going that way i said i'm going to show you some bible that you <laughs> probably think you know and i'm going to tell you why it has nothing to do with a woman not wearing that which pertains to a man and i had examples i had applications i had bible of course and i had the 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 the, the mixed dressing and the cross dressing that was going on in the old testament there and and then going on when paul wrote the letters and gave the warning of that and and uh, little boys were dressing as girls to substitute in the place where there weren't enough girls for these crazy parties and the history of it. And I said, but if my wife goes down to Old Navy, Old Navy split up men over here, women over there. She goes to the women's section and she buys a pair of jeans from the women's section and she puts on the women's jeans. They don't look like men's jeans. 
Nope. And I would look really funny in a pair of <laughs> jeans off that women's rack. <laughs> Why would I look funny? Because they're not men's clothing. It's women's right. clothing. And so we had this, we had this talk and I just, so that was the first thing that really like, they were like, what are we going to, what are we going to do with Brandon? He's gone off the deep end. And uh, sure enough, um, I, I, I stuck to my guns. I had a big uh, um, disagreement with a few people about it, about how we're going to be a poor testimony and we're going to be such stuff. Well, well, that led to me needing to lead the charge. And there wasn't a big dress change for men because, as we know, in the IFB, it's all about the women need to get dressed right. right. Women need to quit luring men to look. And it's the women's fault. Right. It's the man. And we're going to sweep all this under the rug like a good mm-hmm. IFB church. So I had to somehow step up. So the very next week I said, well, it's time I can get out of my tie. It's a perfect time to rip that bandaid off. And, <laughs> and, and, Hey, listen, listen, you think it ain't a big deal, but, uh, oh, you we know, know. It is. And, uh, yeah, another pastors know. And, uh, I had to have a meeting with the deacons about, you know, is this going to be a once in a blue moon thing? Or is this the new you, uh, you've already, you're letting women wear pants and now you're getting out of a tie. And a couple of weeks went by. I wrote this down because my daughter did not want me to forget it. She said, you need to tell them what Ron told you. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I just said a name. I wasn't going to say that name. So I had a deacon. <laughs> hey Ron. Hey Ron. Uh, <laughs> hope you tune in. Uh, he was one of these guys been saved a long time, 30, 40 years. I don't know. been a deacon in this church forever. And he said, well, by you dressing that way, now let's clarify that way. I was always not even a question. I was in a suit pants. I have eight or 10 suits, no jacket, but my suit pants. I'm not talking about khakis, cargo pants, blue jeans, like somebody might wear, I, I would wear today. But at that time, suit pants with a button down shirt with no tie. And what they called my clown shoes, they were my, they were my, uh, my Kohans. They might be two tone leather with white rims or blue rims or whatever. Anyway, he said, right, tennis shoes. Uh, yeah, tennis, tennis. He said, uh, frankly, pastor, I'm embarrassed when we have guests that they would see that's, that's our standard. That's what he said. I'm embarrassed that they see that that's the standard, how you dress on the platform. And he said this. Listeners, listen to this. He said, furthermore, if you keep dressing that way and you encourage other people in the church to dress that way, that's the type of people we're going to start attracting. Mm. He said, I'm just warning you. Mm. So listen, as the camera's on me, I sat back and I thought, how do I answer that? And I said, Ron, I'm a heck of a lot less concerned about who we attract what i'm more concerned with is that i've got a deacon sitting in my office right now that just told me he's worried about the type of people we're going to start attracting and i looked at the other two deacons one wasn't there and i said does nobody else have a problem with what Hmm. mr ron just said everybody said well i I, we understand what he said everybody was against me Hmm. and it started right there Uh. uphill uphill for the next 18 months Unreal. that's the type of people that i inherited do 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 so you know, did Brandon, you only want to attract people 
who looked and dressed like him, like oh. independent fundamental Baptists. I, I mean, yeah. what about people that are lost and know nothing about Bible convictions? What about people no, that are Nathan. in sin? No, we want to attract them, but we want to hurry up and get them saved and get them dressed right and get suit. their hair cut and get them in a suit. Yeah, exactly. listen, the very first church I worked at, Nathan, you know this, Anchor of Hope, Independent, Fundamental, Bible-Believing, Sin, Hate, and Shoot Hell with the Water Pistol, King James Version only Baptist in Ross. Take all your money and move to another country Baptist. I mean, the pastor I worked for in Bezelman. That's not a personal. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, I'm a young guy, early 20s. I worked there for two months, and... The FBI was there. It was a mess. We had a event on Thanksgiving. Had you know six seven hundred students show up. Nate, you brought all the young American kids yep. to it. Um, we had Kelly O'Neill and his band Garrett's Chapel played, and it was awesome. We had eight students get saved that night. We had like three hundred students show up. We had eight get saved. I was on cloud nine. It was a Thanksgiving that was on Wednesday. We had Thanksgiving the next day. I come into church on Sunday, and the only thing that got broke with that many students in the gym, I think it was one of Nathan's kids, the only thing that got broke was a metal sign. Yeah, was a metal sign that went over the exit sign. And on my desk, I threw that sign away. Said, well, it did what it's supposed to do. It saved the exit sign from getting busted. On my desk on Sunday morning was that metal sign sitting there with a note handwritten, we never want those hellions in our church again. And I was just floored, shocked. I, I could not believe it. I left it sitting on my desk. I I pastored there because the guy left after I, two months after I got there. So I was preaching on Sunday morning, doing youth groups, Sunday school, preaching on Sunday morning, youth groups on Sunday night, youth groups on Wednesday. I mean, it's preaching four times a week in my first church. I loved it. Um, but I left it sitting on my desk. And then January 1st, I'll never forget. It was December 31st. Um, I was done. I, I had gotten a job at Cracker Barrel and I walked into the office and I laid my resignation down on the elders or the, excuse me, trustees table. I said, I'm done here. They said, why? You see what happened that Sunday? We had a guy by the name of John. I'll not say his last name because I know John listens to the podcast. Uh, John is an atheist. John wants nothing to do with Jesus, with the Bible. Um, but I believe God has a plan for John's life. John's going to get saved. There's no doubt in my mind. John, if you're I love okay. you, bro. But John, Walks into church on that Sunday. Um, back when I was in youth ministry, this is early 2000s. Uh, Nathan, I, I think you'll remember this. Wicca, uh, the emo crowd, it was very big then. Wicca, um, it was the cool thing for teenagers to be a part of. So big I military had a gothic young people that were coming to youth groups. John was one of them. And, uh, I mean, the dude had long hair. He would wear one of those fedoras, had a long trench coat on. Well, this is around the time that the song Indescribable came out. And uh, John learned that because we were singing at youth groups. And so I'm up leading music on church at church on Sunday morning. John comes walking in the back door, had never stepped foot in there on a Sunday morning. He sat on the front row because I told him I'd save him a seat. Sits on the front row right next to me, hat on, long trench coat. I mean, all black, black fingernails, black makeup on. You know, he he looked like a witch. I mean, whatever. (laughs) Old man come walking up from the back. And I'll not say his name, but he come walking up from the back. And I'll never forget this. He takes his hat off, throws it on the floor, and all I see is him pointing his finger in John's face. And I walked off the stage, picked John's hat up, put it back on him, and I told the old man to go sit his butt down and never talk to a teenager again. And from that moment on, that night, there was a petition going around that I was done because I was allowing hellions in the church. So the next Sunday, I quit. And they were like, where are you going? I said, this is a country club. 
This is not a church. When you won't allow hellions to come in here and hear a life-changing message, I don't want yeah. anything to do with it. Yep. And I slammed that metal sign down on the table and walked out and never worked there again. But I, I feel you, Brandon. Like, unfortunately, that happens. I mean, the movie that just came out, I don't know if y'all seen Jesus Revolution movie yes. yet. Chuck Smith, no, started, uh, Calvary Chapel. He yeah. was allowing hippies and all these people to come in. And there's a point in that movie. I would encourage you to go watch this where he's like, is yeah. that what you want? It's exactly what you just talked about. And Chuck Smith said, yes, we, that's who we want. We want people that are far from Jesus to come in. We expect them to look like what we think they should be. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to reach them. It's his job to clean them. But that doesn't mean get saved and wear a suit the next day. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's a, it's a process, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them. And I always say we can't judge somebody based on the chapter of their story we're walking in on. And you've got to allow them to bump into Jesus and let them change, not our legalism changing them. We could do multiple episodes on people that we know personally. Oh, yeah. Wore the right suit, had the right version of the Bible, preached the right sermons, gave the right invitation went to the right Bible college, and they have done and said, some of them are in prison right now. Yep. Many of them left their wives, abused their children, slept with their secretaries. It, Jesus Jesus was a, not about the externals. No. He was about the heart. God looks on the heart. I got a young man, and, and I, I want to say this. I got a young man who was in my youth group in Utah, um, Teddy, is his alias, he just wrote a book. I just bought it on Amazon. Um, Teddy listens to the podcast also. Uh, Teddy is is not a follower of Jesus right now. I, I believe Teddy knows Jesus. He's just not following Jesus. And uh, he wrote a book, and I sat there and list, and just read all 82 pages of this book. Nate, I got to let you read it sometime. But his dad was a deacon in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Utah, and he talks about how his dad couldn't keep up to the standards the pastor put on him. And his dad, one evening, had dinner with all six of these kids, walked out to the backyard and blew his head off. Mm. And blame to this day, like the whole book is all about man-made tradition, mm. man-made the pressure that it put on his dad to keep up with the rat race of some man's idea of what the word says. That's not Bible, y'all. That that it, it is destroying. It, I, God frowns on that. He cannot be pleased with how we have bastardized the gospel. I mean, we have we, we've made it something that it's not supposed to be. Man, it's heartbreaking. Hmm. He calls it white as as, as as they are like whited sepulchers. That's it. Uh, with, that with our eyes, what that bones, looks like with with that yeah, with dead man's bones uh, inside hmm. them, and he warns us against that. That's not. Yeah. That's not our that's not our criteria to, to look on one another at. So Brandon, let's take the turn. So you started making all these changes. God was using you to yeah. bring change in. How did it kind of come to an end for you and where is it now? Um, man, uh people began walking out. Um I preached a sermon that was aimed at something they had heard year after year after year. From the previous pastor, he has what's known, honestly, as an infamous sermon that's the most unbiblical thing uh, you'll hear anywhere. And he calls it uh, the five-star Christian. And uh, 
as he's preaching, the rest of the church has heard it so often. He always talks about how to be this five-star Christian. And he's like, you know, you go to church and tell others about Christ, read your Bible, pray, and tithe. And as he's saying this, picture the whole church. Read your Bible, go to church, pray, tell others about Christ. The reciting this, what makes you a five-star Christian. And you keep that doing, 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 and you find out you're short on one of those. Well, then you go do more of that. It makes you this good Christian. Granted, we ought to read a Bible every day. The sure. Brother Neil's not saying don't read the Bible. You ought to tell others about Christ. You ought to be faithful in the church, and that's where you're going to get strengthened and equipped to engage the enemy. But that'll make you a good Christian. Right. Uh, uh, if, if, if I'm doing that, and I know that JC's not very faithful, coming to church, or I know that Nathan's not very vocal about telling others about Christ, or somebody admits to me that I just don't, I don't have much of a prayer life like I should. If I know that I'm a good Christian, right? I'm a five-star Christian because I do these things, but I know you don't do them. Then what does that make you? Makes you a bad Christian, makes you not right. a five-star Christian. That automatically makes me better than you, and that automatically makes you not as good. And now you have to work on those areas in order to be good when we've, we're made righteousness, we're made and given the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. And our our, our, our love from him doesn't go up and down like the stock change, like the, like the stock exchange. He loves us, and he loved us before we were uh, even the knowledge of him, I, the Bible right. says, while we were sinners, he died for us. So anyway, I preached this and said, let's just talk about these things, and let's talk about why they don't make us good Christians. <laughs> it's just what we ought to be doing. Uh, but let's talk about how dangerous it is to think that we're good, because I know a church down the road that doesn't do something, so now we're better than them. It's just absolutely horrendous. And our church was so deep in it. And I preached out of Galatians chapter five, which is tremendous because Paul has gotten saved and he's told a story about the tremendous conversion because of his faith in Christ. And, he, and Paul for chapters two and chapters three and chapter four is explaining what faith in Christ does. He's begging people to just cling to faith. And then he says this, and y'all know this, but I don't have to preach the sermon to you. But I told the church when Paul says to stand firm now, in the liberty wherewith Christ had made you free. That's it. It's worded in the King James, therefore, and I might be in the ESV also, a therefore stand firm wherewith in the liberty Christ made you free. And if that's going to happen, then you got to say, why did Paul say that? And I'm getting to the point here. Uh, I told the church because Paul's saying everything this church he's writing this letter to was standing firm, so to speak, in their traditions of man, in their rules to please God, in their man-made uh, 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 regulations and so forth, and adding to the gospel. Mm -hmm. So when somebody looks at J.C. Groves or somebody looks at Brandon Neal or whoever, they look at us and they say, you're wavering. You're not standing firm on the old traditions. It's mm -hmm. not only so untrue, it's so dadgum opposite because christ says you're not standing firm on that rule book and your traditions of man and your your regulations for your little church and all your little do's and do's and do's and your five-point christianity you're weak he yeah. said if you're going to stand firm it's going to be on the liberty of christ and how he made you free and he did that through our faith in jesus so i preached this message and at that point that was where we started spiraling <laughs> okay mm -hmm. 
<laughs> we, uh, it was rough. And this church didn't want to be set free. Mm. They didn't like me saying, they didn't like me telling them, you can't please God with all your rule following. You can't please God just because you've got a King James Bible, which in fact is not inspired. That was a whole other story, but I guess we're going to have time for. Uh, uh, or, or you can't please God uh, getting up here and just pointing the finger at John Calvin and saying that's a four-letter word. I mean, that don't please God. you got to preach the word of God if you're going to be here. you got to learn it and then place your faith that you already have. You have a righteousness of God. In your so things began going downhill, and uh, we had lost three or four families before that year was up. And we had to get through a long missions month which really was extended to six weeks. It started a week early before March, extended a, a week after March. And in April, I needed to have a meeting and people began leaving faster than I could get them all together. And here's what they were leaving. And because I told Devonna this, there's a story here for me, but it's my story is completed and there's much fruit from it. And I want to be able to tell other pastors and leaders that are in this position, what maybe you can do when you face these these problems. Good. But they began leaving, and uh, I asked every person this. I had a marker, and I had this whiteboard right behind my desk. Anybody that might listen to this later knows where that whiteboard is. And I had a man, several people. I'm talking 68 people left the church in about six months, um, two at a time, three at a time, four at a time. And so somebody came to my church in my office one day and they said, you know, there's just a lot of changes. There's just, there's too many changes, a whole lot of changes and we can't deal with them all. There's a lot of changes. And I said, well, brother, can, can you tell me some of those changes? Let's talk about them. Let's open up. Let's, uh, let's get the Bible open. Let's find out what I've changed and let's, well, there's just a lot of changes. Well, can you just give me one? There's just too many. There's a lot of changes. I said, I'll tell you what. So I got on the whiteboard. And I, I put a number one, number two, a number three. And I said, let's just list the big three. Let's list the top three changes that I've taken from the Bible. And I've, I'm detracting from our wonderful church here we have. Nobody has one. So there's no changes. There's just a lot. It's just everything. Everything. It's all different. And we, we got to go. We can't in good conscience be here. We found out later that as all that was going on, the previous pastor was giving advice to the church. Mm. He was calling bus guys. This is sick. This is the type of thing. And uh, if he listens to this, he already knows where I stand on this. Sick. Call we had church members calling bus kids, telling them they left our church because of all these changes in the direction we're going and advising those bus kids go to a different church. And if they needed a ride, we would, they would come back. Mm. We had our previous pastor reaching out to families, warning them about the direction we were going, mm. telling them it would probably be wise if they saw a different church, just one after another. Some people didn't think there was a lot of changes. Some people didn't speak to the previous pastor. They just had some friends in the church that surely knew better, and those friends had left, 
And they said, we're going to have to go because it's just not the same anymore. And I would always tell them, um, heck no, it's not the same. We're preaching the word of God now. Yeah. We're we're praising the Lord when we sing in the morning and we're worshiping him and we're serving the community together. We're not just standing against everybody that's not a fundamental independent Baptist today. Mm. No, it's not the same. But they didn't want that. Mm. So they headed on down the road. If if 68 people at any time would have gotten together and Pastor Neil in his first year was leading the church down some burning dead end road, right? Some burning dead end road of heresy and 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 prosperity gospel or something goofy. If they would have gotten together and just said, we got to vote about this. And the deacons, all four deacons who left me would have said, yeah, that's a good idea. We're going to have to vote. They could have easily said, Brandon, we voted a majority today. And you're going to have to leave. We don't like the direction we're going. They didn't. Every one of them would tell me, I love this church dearly. I love it. And I don't like what's going on here. And I've got to leave. You don't love the church. Mm. No, no, no. You love your, you love your version of religion. Right. And I'm not going to allow that in this church building with our church family. So you can go ahead and go. Mm. So as that began happening, uh, I want to get to calling in the new pastor and leaving, if I could. Before you I want get to, talk to that, before you get yeah. to that, I want you to cover that. But before you get to that, did anybody come in your office with their Bible and say, these are biblical reasons why I'm leaving this church? This is a touchy subject on the show. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up because you ask. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, it, it, but it does, that, the, the outcome of the subject doesn't matter, but the Bible verse does. So, yes, of the things I was so per, just um, perturbed over, one, that our Constitution said we stand on the King James Bible because it is the inspired, inerrant word of God, so on and so forth, and for the English-speaking people, whatever. And I said, you know, I believe it's a good translation. I've got one here in my hand, but it's not inspired. And I taught the actual uh, definition of inspiration and how we got the word of God. It was inspired, praise the Lord. But nobody else 2,000 years later was inspired. Mm. God didn't breathe into them and and move them with the Holy Spirit to write any version. And so so I got through that storm and— told them we're not going to call it inspired. But there's a four-letter word in about 90% of independent fundamental Baptist churches, and uh, it's spelt out John Calvin. And I had a problem. I had a problem as I was waking up. I don't want to say woke, but as I was realizing everything I learned from Bible translations to standards of dress to, to worship styles— to names like J. Vernon McGee, Jack Howells, John Calvin, and A.W. Pink, and everybody in that whole spectrum between left and right. That ever I learned it through an IFB lens, okay? So I went back and learned. Now, I'm a pastor. I've been ordained in preaching for eight or ten years. I was a missionary previously to that. 
And I didn't understand that every time our pastor would preach through the Bible, he would skip right over Ephesians chapter one and get right over into Ephesians chapter two. <laughs> and for my grace, I get saved through faith, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute. So I was preaching out of Ephesians chapter one. And here's my example. I just want to share this with the listeners, how it's Bible. Doesn't matter if you want to believe uh, uh, heavily on being chosen or being predestined, or you want to believe John Calvin had it right or someone else had it right. I, that That's not my point here in any way. I read this Bible verse. This is the only person that came into my, into my office. Three deacons sat down with me, and I want to tell you this story. Thank you for asking. And I preached this message. The example I opened up with was, if... Sometime about about um, the year 60 to 65 A.D., if somewhere in that time frame, 60 years after um, uh, 30 years after Christ had died in the year 60, if somewhere during that time, a man named John Calvin lived, which I know he didn't, but if somebody did and if they had been claiming to be inspired by the word of God. And they had pinned down a church, a letter to the church in Ephesus. And they had written that before the foundations of the world, you were chosen. And they had written later that we were predestined according to the will of God. And they would have written the entire chapter there. And later a man named Paul was to copy some of that, write a book about it. And I was going to preach that tonight. You would say I'm preaching Calvinist doctrine and theology because Calvin wrote that back in the year 60. <laughs> but that ain't what happened. I said a man named Paul wrote that, probably in house arrest or prison. And he writes a, church, a letter to the church of Ephesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now a man named John Calvin seemed to think, hey, that's that's Bible. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that instead of my own thoughts of how things happen. And so he stuck with that. Now, if I mention the word chosen or the word predestination, then you you call someone a Calvinist, regardless of what you didn't ask them what their theology was. And so I said, I'm gonna preach tonight from the book of Ephesians, chapter one. And we're going to uh, um, exposit the scripture, and we're going to talk about what these words mean. So I preached about five or six verses. Did not lean one way or the other. Um, I, I refused to be labeled one way or the other at the time. And so he said, tomorrow morning, we're going to be at your office. When will you be here? I said, I'll be here before you. I said, you just show up. I'll be here waiting. So they came, and they said, they got a problem. Okay, I'm fixing, a dime, I'm fixing a dime drop somebody's name. They'll like it, though. They said, uh, um, we think that you're spending too much time with uh, Austin Weist. Oh. <laughs> Austin, I love you. I'll show you your future. Yeah, brother, I love you. So, and I said, why is that? They said, well, we don't like all this. All this. It had been like last night. I mentioned John Calvin. So it's John Calvin stuff that scares us. Well, I found out later that I talked to the previous pastor, and the pastor didn't like me being friends with Austin. So I said, well, let's turn the Bible. 
let's just go there a minute. Let's go there. So we go over here to Ephesians chapter one. And I said, okay, what, what do you not like about it? They opened up their Bibles. Mm. Everybody's got an old fashioned King James Bible. And I said, let's start. Where do you not like it? So they said, well, we don't think that God chose anybody. I said, okay, that's a fair, fair opinion. We all have them. Um, why do you think he didn't? Well, we just believe we've been taught. And we understand that God foreknew who he would choose based on their faith, so on and so forth down the road. And I said, that's, that's what many great theologians believe. And I said, uh, many theologians are going to be in heaven one day with that thought and many theologians in this thought, and they're going to find out that, hey, it really didn't matter that much, that piece of theology. I said, but let me read this, what I read. I was like, so here, listen. I said, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. I said, now, is that what the word of God says, or is that what I believe happened? And they said, well, we know it. I had a deacon, guys. He said, <laughs> he said, wow. I know that's what it says, but listen, you're twisting that. I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He said, what that means is that God, that's Calvinist. You're, you're talking Calvinist. That means that God looked down in the annuals of time and he knew who would choose him. And I said, I don't know what it means. Let's not even, let's not even act like we're trying to figure out what it means. I said, let me read this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. I said, does the Bible say that he chose? And they're like, You're, we, we see that, but we just don't agree. And we, we don't think you need to be preaching that. Mm. I said, guys, last night I read the scripture straight from our Bible. And I said, I've given no opinion on what that might mean or the theology between the two extreme opinions there. I said, but that tells me that I was chosen before the foundation of the world, and I was predestined to be adopted as his child through my faith in Jesus Christ. I said, that's what the Bible says. So, yes, they came to me, and they still argued with me on that because, because they had been taught their legalistic, uh, self-righteous rules and uh, um, uh false sense of any intelligence and just been regurgitated from previous pastors that if it's chosen or predestined or Calvin, it's stay away from it. Yeah, and I've, and I've seen this on both sides of the issue. I've seen people that, have. that start with John Calvin and then they go to the scripture and read the lens through John Calvin. I don't like that. I've seen people no. that start with, you know, John Wesley and they read the Bible through the lens of John Wesley, which is a totally different story. We've got to start and end with Scripture. I love reading commentaries. I love hearing Spurgeon, Wesley, whatever, guys from different perspectives. But in, in the end, the Bible interprets itself. So the you know, thing is to study, not start with tradition, and then read the Bible through that lens. Good. No, sir. Good. And, and, I, and I let them know that my—this is— <laughs> This is super giant print. You can probably read it right there. Oh, yeah. This is my preaching Bible at the time. And I said, I said in my Bible, on the very, when you open the Bible up, you can see chapter one and chapter two. 
and they're written by the same man. Right. And just on the other side of the page, it says we're saved by grace yep. through faith and that not right. of ourselves. I said, that doesn't contradict. Nothing contradicts in our Bible. I said, I'm reading the words of God. So yes, they had a problem with that. And uh, here's what it all comes down to when it was time to lose everybody and they one by one left. There's no doubt if another pastor's going through this, it all comes down to the phrase of performance-based Christianity. Yeah. I don't care what it is. It's like it's like all sin leads back to pride, I believe. And no matter what the sin is, I don't you throw a sin out there, it starts with pride. Yeah. Uh if you have a discrepancy of scripture and a and a haughty spirit of who you are in the church and how you have your own perspective and you cannot just get the Bible out and, and even grow enough to be corrected when you need to be, maybe, then mm -hmm. you have a performance-based Christianity and you don't want the truth. You just want to perform. Many and so that's, that's where we were. Many in that day will say, Lord, didn't we teach and prophesy in your name? Did not. I didn't know you. Part. Oh, it's terrifying. It's horrible. It's horrible. So, um, so things progressed on, and there was a transition that took place. Uh, yes, to where we are at currently, and you just mentioned yes. the name there. So let's let's get to that. Okay, so here we go. Um, I counsel with a few men beforehand. Now, don't forget, I, I told you in the in the letter, and we were talking a little bit. This entire time, we've come home from Korea to take care of our parents. Right. Devonna's father had been moved to a nursing home, was, was doing worse than we had thought originally when we came home. Her mother was needing some extra help. Devonna was spending two or three weeks in Texas, a couple of weeks in Tennessee with me, two or three weeks in Texas, a couple of weeks in Tennessee. And we're going through all of this. It was something that nobody could understand but me and Devonna laying in our bed at night, maybe crying on one another's shoulders. Um, the weight of the ministry, the weight of a loved one that we weren't there with, the weight of responsibilities. And I needed to be home with my parents and her parents. But I couldn't just leave because these people, I, nobody was going to run me off. Um, God had asked us to go, and back to the very beginning from a year and a half before that, are we supposed to be here or not? And God made it clear that we were to entrench and fight from that box. So people say, well, why are you pastor an IFB church? Because I believe if I leave, it's going to die, and the only way to help is to prune it and to purge it and to preach yeah. the truth, the Word of God, and something's going to come out of it. Bless God, I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. And I might get crucified over it. I don't know, but I'm going to stay. So now we're wanting to go home. And I want to make it very clear. I'm not going home because I just lost 60, 68 church members. I, that ain't why I'm going home. Don't don't get on your high horse, you know, and think you ran me off. You know, we we've ran everybody <laughs> off. Gonna go. Everybody that couldn't take it left. They got out the kitchen. And now we've got a core that I loved dearly. Some of them are still there, still there with Austin today. And I mentioned to Brother Weist, I said, Austin, can we take you to lunch sometime? We want to talk to you about something. And uh, no, I mentioned to him on the phone that we were going to have to leave. And I haven't told the church, 
But in the next few months, I have to leave. And the last thing I want to do is tell the church one Sunday morning, uh, I've packed my bags. I'm leaving Monday. Okay. I want to do it right. I want to honor God. Everything we've done has been to glorify God and to further that ministry there. So we're going to stay as long as I have to stay, but I've got to put a plan in motion. And uh, Austin and Angela, uh, which y'all know, they, they, they came over to Clarksville. They were about an hour, hour and a half down the road or something at, at a great church. And uh, uh, they met us for pizza. And I think it was a pretty much um, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think we can do it. I don't know if we could. There's a lot of baggage. You know, Austin and Angela were there with yeah. that previous pastor before I was. And there was a lot of my stories are are weak compared to that theirs i think <laughs> so so uh we didn't get anything settled that day and he kept praying about it i told one person in in, in the church i believed i could trust to be praying about it and uh somehow in the next month we had a yes the thought that they could go through everything they went through mm leave kind of to the backside of the desert and God do a work on Austin and Angela in a reformed uh, um, freedom of liberty uh, type of status. And I come in with the boxing gloves on and, and fight for a couple of years. They come in full circle, a trophy of, 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 of grace of God's, greatness in a church and ministry and two pastors lives connected everything just seemed right but the church uh, needed to vote i wasn't gonna appoint a pastor and uh i said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna appoint a pastor so we had a couple of deacons we we had four or five leave you know everybody left so i had, had appointed a couple uh great great guys uh uh then and uh they went over to Austin's church, met with him, watched him preach, interact with his people. And they both had some questions and um, some reserve because he wasn't their dear friend like he is mine. And uh, he was just another person. I'd been there a very short amount of time. And I, in some people's eyes, I'd wrecked that church. Honestly, I, I turned that thing upside down and we were running instead of 150, we're running 75 or, or less. And, um, before long, I pushed the envelope like, look, we're voting. What else do you have to do next Sunday? Be here if you want to vote. And uh, I think Austin got one no vote, uh, two, two no's, one unvote. Un, what do you call that? Uh, didn't bat the ballot. He got two people said no, and I think about 60 or 70 said yes. How many people were there? And uh, resounding welcome. And we handed over if uh, anybody could pat anybody on the back, um, we can pat ourselves on the back for just taking our time and doing it like it's supposed to be done. We hand it over correctly. We're still dear friends. I love what's going on there. And it's truly because there were some things taken off of that branch that needed to be taken off, snapped in half and thrown in the fire and burnt like the Lord tells us as we purge those dead vines that are not producing fruit, that are only hurting that vine. And now 
there's room for growth and there's people there and there's new faces every week and there's fresh oh. Bible being mm-hmm. preached and uh, God's being glorified. And uh, my story is just the foundation and a little bit of it. It it's not important. I, I enjoy talking about some things because it's past now. I didn't enjoy it when it happened, but it's not important. What's important is I believe there's dozens or hundreds or how many, I don't know. I don't know that are pastoring a church that either they, a, like I did took over an independent fundamental Baptist church. And they're like, Whoa, I I need to steer them a different direction. But if I do, they're going to hang me. If I do, they're going to, I'm going to split the church. If they do, what am I going to, what's going to happen? Or they've been there a long time. They're seasoned, but they've been growing. And you know, growth is, is considered backsliding, right? It's regressing. It's a reprobate. Right. If it's if it's not growing the way that you agree, I need to grow. Yeah. But if God shows me something and I begin growing, then I need to listen to God and not please man. Yep. So Devon and I set many times from September, October, November, and then right up into that um, missions conference. And I even, you can laugh at it. I know you've never mentioned to your wife anything you're ever preaching, like for some kind of approval. But uh, listen, (laughs) some of this stuff required some knee-high boots and uh, (laughs) a bull whip to step up in the pulpit. And I say, Devonna, this is what I'm fixing to drop on these folks tonight. And there was times when Devonna, bless her heart, she's like, well, I'll be in the nursery tonight. <laughs> like, hey, you, you ain't on the nursery schedule. You sit right funny. up here with me. And, and there was times when she wasn't there. It was crazy. And uh, uh, no joke, um, I would encourage young pastors or anybody in the situation. There's two things, and they, and they seem to contradict one another. So let me clarify. We know the Bible tells us that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna down that because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But the Bible also says this: if any of us lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask God. We're supposed to ask God. What does God do? Give it to he us. Give it to us. Give liberally. Liberally. <laughs> to all them that ask. So if you have counseled to someone and they're, they don't want to tell you how to pastor your church. Like many men told me, they don't want to tell you to rip that bandaid off. They don't want to tell you, but they're praying for you. And they give you some insight. It shouldn't be the secondary method, but it often is. And it was for me when I finally got, uh, when I finally honestly admitted to the Lord that I really needed his answer because I feel like I'm ready to do something on my own and I don't want to step out of my own. It was a resounding as if it was an audible voice. Open the Bible, Brandon, and preach. Yeah. Open the Bible and preach. And I opened the Bible and I preached and, uh, I was not going to stand for what I knew was not Bible. We were not going to uh, sing old-fashioned hymns that glorified us. Uh, my daughter, Emma, bless her heart, she got a hymn book out. 
with a pen and she marked off every song in the hymn book that was not either singing to God, for God, or about God. Come on. If it was lifting me up in my mansion on a hilltop and look at what I'm doing and <laughs> I'm not going to hell. Okay. Goodness. So hey, that ain't praising God. Yeah. And Emma Emma marked that sucker right out. And we had a hymn book about this thick, but only about this many songs in it. Right. And that's what we think. And uh, we launched that church. I believe God allowed me and helped me and did through us. And some faithful folks there. I don't want to disregard them. Helpers, big helpers that maybe they believed in me. Um, I'm thankful for that. But yeah. them showing they believed in me showed that they loved the Lord and they needed that preaching and they loved the new direction that we were going because we were now following the Lord. We were standing firm in the liberty that Christ has set us free, not firm in all that garbage that had been set before us. And, it uh, is awesome. There's, now. Other, there's other men in, in the same situation and sure. I, I feel for it. There's plenty. And I would encourage you, if you are listening to this and you're in that situation, reach out to Brandon. Uh, I would, I, I, I don't believe that he's gone through this just to go through it. Uh, there's wisdom there. And, uh, this is a counselor here and, uh, you know, watching Austin now and watching you two in Israel together, uh, you know, and, and just seeing how God used your faithfulness to kind of come in like John the Baptist. I mean, you're eating locusts and honey out in the parking lot, freaking out people, you bro, know, I mean, you just went in guns a blazing scorched earth, but it took that to prepare the way for what God's doing in Austin now. And, you know, I would encourage you, Brandon, like, uh, God, I know that in those points of time, there can, the, the enemy can sneak in and say, well, look at, you're not a success. Your time there was short. You're not a, you, you weren't used of God in a mighty way. And you ran more people yeah. off. What God is doing in that ministry now, I believe is a direct result of him using you. Uh, in a in a great way to to right the ship, and you know I mean the the verse of uh, some plant the seed, others get to have the harvest, but we all rejoice. Yeah. And you yeah. went and had to till the ground. You had to do the hard work and and prepare the way for what God is doing in Chance and Tyler and and Austin now and how they're leading that well. But man, I, I'm so encouraged to hear your story because it's not sexy. I mean it's it, it's very frustrating and there's a lot of yeah. Uh, hurt on your end. Um, but you stayed faithful and you did the hard things. And a lot of people aren't willing to do what you did, uh, to, to do those hard, to have those hard conversations, to preach the, the hard truth, but God used that to continue to grow the ministry. Can I, can I say one more thing, JC? Please do. Uh, uh, there's something, there's another factor in every one of us have this default switch that I learned about and I had to defeat. And if we're not careful, we won't. We'll say we're not men pleasers. Mm -hmm. We're going to preach the word of God. But when you come out of this, friend, if you're listening today and you're in it, let me tell you how your friends list is going to shrink. Mm, yeah. Let me tell you about all your mentors that love you huh. today. Until, until you stand up and say, that's not viable. Yeah. And I'm not going to allow this church to go through any more of this rigid and stringent traditionalism and, and, and worship this rule book 
And until you step up and say, it's, it's not just that family on the third row that's going to pick up and walk away. No. It's your old pastor and it's your mentor and it's your, it's, 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 it's brother churches and it's people that at the time it's going to be hurtful. Yeah, In is. fact, it would be less hurtful if they would call me and say, you dirty snake. I, you, you've fallen away from the, you don't even get that. No. You know how many people have called me since the transition began and since I left and I came home? Little to none. Little to none is an understatement. Yeah. I've had a couple of friends that have, and that's because they're friends and they love me. Right. And that uh, they might or might not agree in everything that I'm doing. And most of them, I think, do. Some other pastors, I have a pastor just uh, last week announced uh, stepping down. And I know because of the pressure, he needed to step down, I think. And, uh, we need to think of people that we know like that and take a minute to call them and tell them we're here for you. Great yeah. that you're stepping out and doing, it shouldn't be such a task, but thank you for standing on the word of God and not yeah. worrying about, but I'm just saying we all have a default switch. Sure. I don't want to lose a bunch of friends. What are the brethren going to think? What's B I M I going to think? What's, mm. what's pastor so-and-so going to think? Well, I don't really give a flip what they think true um i'm gonna preach and what are they gonna say on facebook and somebody else left and there must be a big problem <laughs> down at brandon's church yeah, yeah. There, there, there is a big problem i'm getting i'm sweeping them up out of the house <laughs> with the bible hey and, what's uh, the what's the saying truth never fears yeah. a challenge no truth never felt and, and, and you know what i had some nights when i went to bed fearful because yeah. i'm a man yeah. and i woke up concerned because I'm a man and I loved that ministry and I still do today. And yeah. I love the people and I, and, and, and I was concerned about people say, I don't care what they think about me. I did care because I'm an honest and I'm genuine and I, I know the word of God. Like I think I do. And I, I wanted to be true. I didn't want to be thought of as yeah. ignorant and, and, and falling away and I couldn't handle the church, but there has to be a time, doesn't there? That you say, don't care. Yeah. yeah. Don't care. I think that's been one of the hardest things that we've dealt with. I know Nathan and I've had this conversation a lot over the last four years is the, the fake words or the, the untruths that go out about who you are. I mean, you learn a lot about yourself when you take a stand, like we have, like you have, um, you know, I mean, you, you find out a lot about yourself on social media through yeah. the, the, the prayer chain or the rumor mill, you know, um, and, and I'll be honest that that is a difficult thing to overcome because we do, want to still be friends with people. We do still want to, you know, hold our reputation up, whatever that is. Um, and there is that fear of, of wanting to prove yourself. Mark Milioni, man, he, he, he dropped one of the greatest lines. He said, lions don't bother. Lions aren't worried by the opinions of mine. You're, not worried. You're right. And that right there just radically helped me more than almost anything on this podcast. And I was just like, okay, we're continuing to press forward. There's a line. We were out of this, you know, we, we weren't doing IFB work. And then this podcast, boom, puts us right back in the heat of the fire. And, you know, it's almost like a lot more than it ever was, but it's worth it because truth is marching on. And I mean, just that conversation last week with Jim hearing oh. your story, being in Korea and hearing the podcast like that, 
these things are, are and, and watching the ministry that happens as a result of that, man, that's all the encouragement I need. It, yeah. it, it's worth every mile. It's worth every conversation, every slander, every name, every conversation being preached about, every fruit inspector that thinks they know you. Hello. Um, it's just, it's worth it. <laughs> Yeah. 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 That rotten fruit. Amen. I got a lot of Brandon. I want to say, I appreciate you. Yeah, buddy. Doing what God called you to do. God doesn't call pastors to be politicians. You could have gone in that church and done what it took to start drawing more people in instead of probably grown it. Because you're a galvanizer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Calvinizer and I'll be, I'll be selling ice cream on the corner and everybody coming. It would have been real easy. But, yeah, uh, and I, I'm telling you something. There, there are pastors, and I know too many of them. And I've sat in offices with them, say, "Well, I can't do that because this person right. won't like it." And they're the big givers, and their their family's been running the yes. church for years. I've I've got to do what I've got to do here, and I, I've told them, "You got to preach the word of God." Yeah, you've got to be wise, and, and yes, you've got to be compassionate and loving, but you've got to preach the truth first. And the thing I know about you, Brandon, is you didn't go in there to run people off. You went in there to preach the truth and let the cards lie where they will. When you preach the Bible, those seeds get planted. Some people have hard hearts. Some soil is soft and it receives the seed and the seed grows. We're not responsible for that. We're responsible to be faithful to the word of God, to love people, to preach the truth. And I know you've done that. And seeing you in Israel, surrounded by friends and brothers that loved you, I, I looked yeah. at JC on the trip, and I was looking over at you, and we had had a conversation that day. You don't even know this, Brandon. I looked at JC, and I said, he's my people. Yeah, That guy right there, he's my people. Cool. I said, I'm so thankful that we found some of our people through yeah. this journey, which hasn't been easy for us. And I'm in a new yeah, city, planting a new church. And it hasn't been easy since I've been here. And I'm thankful that I've got people that have walked through some roads, that have learned some lessons, that have the touch of God on their lives. And man, it's worth it when you get to a certain point and you look back and say, you know what? They weren't ever friends in the first place. I'm Mm -hmm. glad they're gone. I've got some people now. We've been through battles together. And brothers, amen. You're in the field right now, and you feel like nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, nobody's watching, that even God's forgotten about you. I mm. believe there's a chapter, two or three chapters down the road, down the story, that, <laughs> that you're going to experience God's blessing in a way. Yeah. yeah, This isn't prosperity gospel. I'm talking about experiencing blessing through suffering. Yeah, You're going to yeah. realize yeah. one day that God can work all of your good. things together for good for those who love him. So That's I just, Brandon, thank you for your heart, and man, you've You've stayed on us about getting this episode about he- out here because you're passionate. You're, you're <laughs> passionate about people hearing this message. That that's it, guys. Let's not forget as as you introduce this. If it if if you decide to to play this on uh, on on the podcast and and people get to hear this, I'm not joking. It needs to be very important that they understand. I would love to tell my story. But it's way more than me telling the story. Yeah, it's I want I want to hear that people heard it and it helped them. I want somebody to call me and say, "Hey, Brandon, can you talk a minute? Send me an email. This is what we're doing. Did you have something like this? What did you do? Yeah. I don't have all your I don't have their answers, but I'll share my story. I'll pray with anybody. I'll I'll I'll, I'll speak to any 
I'll do anything I can uh, because it does need to get out because there is people out there hurting like we were. And well, I'm all about you this is coming here. out. So I uh, get congrats. This <laughs> You've made an episode brother, but I think the right. ministry is just beginning because I believe that there's a lot of young men uh, that are, are going to be reaching out to you. And I would encourage you to reach out to Brandon, Neil, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, he's all over. And, and uh, we need guys who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt and uh, Brandon yeah. got it. And uh, brother, I'm, I'm glad to know you. And uh, thanks for coming on the RFP tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Love y'all so much. Thank you so love much. Love you, bro. Love you, ma'am. Hey, we'd love for you to go to Israel with us and just continue to grow a bond of brotherhood. January 24th through February the 3rd, we're going to the Holy Land. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Israel tab, and sign up today. It's going to be a great trip. Nate? I hope we find Nathan by next week. And uh, it's been Brian. good. Here. Oh, that's who I meant. Yeah, Brian. Who did I, I say? I his name. One episode. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> did I say we Nate? I hope we find off. Nathan by next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having all-timer moments like Brian already. Here we go. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, if you, anybody runs into Brian, tell him we got a podcast. We record on Thursday evenings, and we'd love to love to have him back on with us. Yeah, we may have to call Matt Dudley and see if he wants to step in. I mean, we if we ever have to replace somebody, we we we've got a lineup. I'm going to put this on the air right now because we've been thinking about doing this for six months, and we just never done it. We need a segment of the RFP called Dishing with Dudley. And we just yes. Matt Dudley a moment to listen. I have made intro and outro music for it, Matt Dudley. You've been put on, get on this podcast and do addition with Dudley episode. <laughs> put, put up or shut up now. Man. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, we're rambling now. And you know what happens when you ramble? You preach 30 more minutes. Hey, man. Right. <laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We'll see y'all next week. You got to say be Please. sweet. Be sweet. Peace. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.